0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 531. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues a study of the kings of Israel and Judah with Second Samuel 11. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. What we're going to cover today is one of the reasons that I actually wanted to do this study, and it's a fairly seminal verse here in the beginning of this story of the kings. Remember, we're way at the beginning. We've only had Saul and David so far, and we're going to get a lot more kings, and things are getting a lot worse, just to let you know. But today is when, in David's life, things take a turn for the worse, and this is David and Bathsheba. Now, before we talk about this, I do want to put things in a little context here because I had a conversation when I was in India recently with one of the Amateur Traveler listeners who happened to be there, and we were talking about the Hindu religion because we were learning a lot about it when we were there. And there's has all sorts of freaky stories about, you know, this particular son of this god lost his head because this god got impatient and it was replaced with the head of an elephant and things like that that are that are strange. And someone said something about the Hindu gods and the myths, and they said, well, the Old Testament is also all myths also. And I took some exception to that, and I want to make sure that you understand that as we're talking about these kings... David for instance you can go right now to Jerusalem and if you go just south of the city uh, just outside the Dung Gate there is an archaeological dig there of the city of David and I don't mean Bethlehem the city of David I mean David's Jerusalem David's Jerusalem was built outside of what is now the old walls of Jerusalem but it has been discovered and you can visit it if we talk next about Solomon you can go and see some of the stones there in the Western Wall are still from Solomon's temple. And when we talk about Hezekiah later on, you can go and there is Hezekiah's tunnel, just where the Old Testament said it was. And so when we look at the story of David and Bathsheba, for instance, we're certainly going to pull morals out of this story, but this is not a story that was written so that you, we would have morals. It is a story of what happened to David and Bathsheba from which we can draw some lessons. All the things we're talking about here are the histories of Israel, and they're backed up to the extent that we can by archaeological digs and that sort of things. And so we're talking about history here, and we're talking about in particular the history of Israel's greatest king, but not a perfect king as we see today. David and Bathsheba, Second Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will do no such thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, The king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebez? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So, Some interesting things in this story, and I want to look at three different aspects of this story. One is the setup. Where was David and what was he doing? Two is the act. Three is the cover-up. And then I actually also want to look at the conspiracy. So we've got a number of different things going on here, and it starts with David is home. And his army is in the field. And it says very specifically, this was the time when kings go off to war, but David remained in Jerusalem. And remember, I said put a pin in it last week when we said that when the first of the battles that we talked about, David was at home and Joab went out with the army. The king's position was to go out with the army. Now, later, David will become... An elderly man, and he will not go out with the army. It wouldn't be expected. But there is no reason to believe, if he's still of childbearing age, which we have reason to believe he is in this story, that he shouldn't be going out to the army because he is infirm or something like that. So David isn't where he's normally to be. Instead, he is walking around on the roof of his palace. We don't know why he stayed home. There's no good reason given why he stayed home, and we don't know why he went for a walk in the palace. Uh, Could just be bored. But when we talk about what's going on in this story, remember, David lived in a time where he has multiple wives already, and he could have had another wife if he wanted. The problem with this story, the first problem, is that he chooses someone who is already married, which is adultery. And to sin. So he could have, if he felt the need for another wife, it would be his right to, to go out and find the most beautiful woman in the kingdom if he wanted to, as long as she is not married. There's no need here that can justify his actions. And I wonder if part of the problem that we get here is that David is in the wrong place. And I say that because I think of 36 years of marriage or coming up on 36 years of marriage for me in another week, one of the things that I haven't managed to screw up so far, and I've screwed up a lot of things in marriage, is I haven't managed to sleep with anybody else's wives or, or, or sleep around on my wife. But part of the reason for that, I think, is not putting yourself in the situation where you will be tempted. So, for instance, I do a lot of travel. I'm going to be away from home about, I think, about 142 nights this year because I do the travel, the whole travel podcast and things like that, amateur traveler. And my wife has been with me for about 40 of those nights. But what you won't find me in those other 100, for instance, down in the hotel bar with the other people who are bored and away from home. It's just not the best place to go when you're bored. And where you go and what you do with your time can open you up to more temptation. I know the Reverend Billy Graham, when he was alive and when he was going out doing his ministry, he had a rule that not only did he not want to sleep around with other women while he was on the road, but he also didn't want to get in the temptation to or even find himself in the situation where someone might think he was. And so he put some rules around his ministry where he would not, you know, be with a woman alone in his hotel room or even in his office or whatever, just because he just didn't even want there to be either a temptation or the thought of impropriety. And I think that was wise. And what David does here, this first part here, this setup is potentially unwise. And then, of course, there's... The second problem, which is he sees the woman, and we start the conspiracy here. All of the things that David is doing in this, where David is doing the wrong thing, he is aided by others. Did you notice that? He's sending someone, who is she? He's sending someone, go bring her to me. He's sending someone and saying, go get Uriah. He's telling Joab, you know, we're going to get rid of Uriah. All of these things he is aided by by the people around him who know that adultery is a sin, who know that murder is a sin. And part of the problem is David is the king, and he has a lot of power. And when you give power to someone, not only can it corrupt them, but it also can corrupt those around them to start to think that maybe David is above the law, in this case, the law of Moses. And David isn't. As we get to that last paragraph here, God was not pleased. We're going to get into that next week. But God was not pleased. So he sleeps with Bathsheba. In all of this, Bathsheba is fairly incidental in the sense that we don't know what she wanted. We don't know what she didn't want. We don't know if she was up on the roof bathing, knowing that David could look. We just don't know what was going on with Bathsheba. And really, all of the sin focuses here on what David did, because David had the power in this situation. David did what David wanted. And we don't know much about Bathsheba. We know that she stays in the story, and we'll talk about that later after next week. But she gets pregnant. And David has a problem because he realizes Uriah's at the front and everybody's going to know that this isn't Uriah's baby. He's got a plan. He's going to bring Uriah home. He's going to send Uriah to sleep in his own bed, to sleep with his wife. And then when she gets pregnant, everyone will think this is Uriah's baby. It's a great plan, it's a cover up. And this first part doesn't go very well because Uriah, unlike David, knows where he should be. Uriah, unlike David, knows his duty whether he's right or wrong about whether he should go home and sleep with his wife, he feels that it would be wrong, and he doesn't do what he feels would be wrong. Even when David gets him drunk, he doesn't do what he feels would be wrong. Uriah has a lot of integrity in this story, and he's going to get killed for it because the cover-up gets worse than the original crime because David can't get him to sleep with his wife And so he has to remove Uriah from the equation, and he gets that, and he gets Joab to help him. He says, put him in a place where he's going to die. Put him in a place where an accident's going to happen to him. And Joab does. Joab knows this is wrong, but he does it anyway because the king asks him to. And so there's this whole thing about, you know, David may get upset because we got men close to the wall and they got killed. You shouldn't, you know better. Tell him Uriah died. And when he tells him that, David sends back and says, you know, accidents happen. These things will happen. The sword will kill one one as well as another. Don't worry about it. And David marries Bathsheba after she finishes mourning for her husband. And as far as he knows, he has gotten away with it. Joab knows what he did, but Joab's not going to talk. Some of the servants may know what he did, but they're not going to talk. But you know who else who knows what he did? God knows what David did. And God is going to talk to David about it in the next chapter next week. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at Podcast.com or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Feeling stressed?